You're listening to a Chirp Radio podcast. You can find more interviews and features at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. There's a lot of ideas in a lot of the stuff we do, and we are totally okay with them being sloppy. Um, we have this saying, it's like, um, shit, what's the saying? I forgot our saying. Sloppy thinking, sloppy thinking, precise feeling. Yeah, so we're not afraid to put that kind of stuff out, where it's like, we're not writers, we're not theorists, we're, we're artists, and we take, with, with a print shop, so we take liberties at putting these ideas onto paper and kind of like letting people fill in the blanks and that is like total freedom and that's like what being an artist should be. Dylan Peterson for Chirp Radio. I'm with Son and Zimmer, Nick and Nadine, and what a pleasure. Thank you for talking to Chirp today. How are you? Doing really good. Yeah, a little uh, tired from printing all day, but great. At least when I uh, first saw your work, it was probably almost a decade ago. I remember it because I was like, look at that. It was um, your Menomina design for their show at the Metro. When I first saw that poster, it struck me because you had to look for it. You know, it didn't, it wasn't like other posters where it just says, here's the date, here's the bands, here's the venue. I mean, it is all there, but it's abstract. I do think we kind of set up a dialogue and a platform for people. You know, I'm, I'm floored that you have an attention span for our work for over a decade, but that's kind of like, that's that part of the deal, that, that part of the coin. is like a flat stock, it's a hard sell, but then the sell is a 10-year dialogue with people. And in some way, I feel like we foresha- foreshadowed the end of branding. And we have like a little bit of a motto here that you know logos are for losers. Um, because if you look at how virtual reality is expanding, you know, the way avatars have to work, they have to go beyond just this this um, pictographic impact. It really kind of has to have different nuances and um, create that connection for the next 10 years. And the next 10 years means basically, can you exist for the next three years? So 10 years ago, when was it just primarily just gig posters? Yeah, that's how we got started. It was um, very much inspired by studios like Jay Ryan's Bird Machine, uh, Dan Jett's... Uh, uh, Screwball Press, um, Delicious Design, Design League, and a lot of other studios around the country that were popping up. So we wanted to try our hand at it and at collaborating. And we dove in with posters, and we didn't really get a lot of great um, feedback <laughs> initially. So we kind of had to go a different route. Like we just weren't getting poster jobs, and we were trying really, really hard. And we got some, but it wasn't really enough to keep us moving. So we kind of branched out into publication design into more art-centric stuff too. And actually recently, the poster thing has kind of started to rear its head again in the studio because we hadn't really, we went from making like 40 posters a year to like 10 in like a two or three year period. Well, those posters are, um, 
the word that came to mind at first was low art, but maybe I shouldn't say that, but accessible, uh, posters are accessible um, to maybe someone who's not in the art world uh, first, maybe the high school kids or whoever, you know, who are just too young to really even know yet what's going on. Um, I mean, when I saw your stuff, I was in college and just going to a show. So, um, but it's, it's, you know, different enough that it, it sticks out. Um, so even though it's a small thing, it's, it, if it's in the context of a, a really familiar place where you, you are, you know, expecting the bird machine poster or whatever it is, nothing wrong with that. But if it's something new that sticks out, then it's going to leave an impact. I think, um, it did on me at least. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm air jumping right now, air slam dunking. <laughs> um, I, uh, it's, it's been interesting for us to see how the media changes because in some way it's come full circle. Um, we always looked as poster making and if we could just make posters 24 seven and live off of that, it would be a dream come true. Um, I wouldn't want anything else. It's the best medium for a graphic artist. But because the poster has been so rid from its functionality, it has this opportunity now to be art because it doesn't necessarily have to function anymore. I think posters now um, are totally free from how they want to move through the world. They can be marketing, they can be imagery, they can be print, they can be, um, um, you know, like something that a layman or a lay woman or a lay zeman does, and that's okay. And so it has this, for us, with what we've always looked or projected into making posters has come full circle. Like for us, it's the best time to make posters because we've always seen it as a absolutely awesome canvas for um, expression that is open to anybody. And then screen printing then also just has this ultimate democratic um, expansion because it's super you know easy to do yourself and it's still there in the industry you know like microchips are screen printed but it also has this like really heavy um, art context you know as as an artist proof so we're kind of like in the perfect time for what we've always kind of set out to be um, but obviously there's, you know, different schools of thought. Some people are like, well, you know, if it's not advertising, it ain't poster. And in some ways that can, that can be, um, right. But at the same time, you know, you take it into a different context and then suddenly it works again. So it's totally malleable and it keeps just, it, it keeps being that, that promise of it being malleable, um, keeps going, you know. What is, uh, yeah, your working relationship like, and I'm, I feel like I want to ask you, Nadine, um, first, because um, in the male uh, role, Nick, you're you're in good company in, <laughs> in the creative world. Nadine, you're the woman here, and so you're in good company with Nick, I assume, because you've been working with him for a long time, but what are the challenges of uh, working in this uh, context of with so many men in this industry? Um, I feel like some of those consequences or things I'm only starting to be aware of, to be frank, because at the beginning working together was just kind of like, 
we were entrenched in fighting each other's ego, you know, like the death match of the ego. Um, and once that kind of ceased and we got a deeper understanding of how we work together and how we complement each other, then the second layer came like cultural differences where I just look at it from like an Asian perspective or a European perspective and challenge these kind of ideas that um, kind of flow through creativity or image ideas. And so that was like the second iteration. And now the third iteration was like also kind of um, being able to formulate ideas that don't have to fit into a certain mold, that we are kind of the result of an aesthetic that's been taught to us through like school and art that is very male-centric and it kind of smells and looks and feels always kind of like a moose, a taxidermy moose above a fireplace. That's kind of like how I call it. Or a trophy, you know. Is, it, is a trophy work, does it have to have that kind of singularity? And what is then a poster failed that doesn't like reek like a trophy, you know? And so I felt, I feel like it's not necessarily being around a lot of guys because that's never really at all hindered me. I mean, I, I used to do snowboarding when there wasn't even women categories. And like the rule was just the fastest one down the mountain wins. And that really doesn't matter how, you know, who you are. In fact, when you're lighter on the board, it sometimes is better because you just don't knock yourself out of speed. So um, I don't think that was deterrent for me at all. It was more kind of like um, unraveling a lot of um, education um, and cultural education within a binary dynamic and being able to formulate it in a way that honors um, my sense of awakening, but also doesn't overtrump um, another legit way of working. I think some of these aesthetic things also have surfaced and established itself out of natural and real reasons. And so it's kind of like figuring out how a future can kind of in, unfold, honoring all these different moving parts. I'm not interested in um, changing, changing those things. It's more like, how can it look synthesized going forward? And I think that's when true new dialogue happens through osmosis and synthesis, not by, you know, revamping the entire book and being like, we've done it for this long, now we have to do it like that. Nobody wants to put that energy forth. You know, it's like trying to build up on what's there. And um, so in, in, in our working collaboration, it's just gone through waves of, of this discovery. And I think ultimately, I kind of work more, I get ideas intellectually and through an ideation process. Nick kind of goes through it more viscerally where he literally has to like draw it by hand. And so this kind of tension um, and the gap between implementation of ideas and the person drawing it kind of creates our work. But also um, I feel like that's that can change from project to project depending on the physical vehicle. I mean, it can, it can come down to as, as easy as like, how, how is the vehicle that we're working with, and that will change the collaboration. Mm -hmm.
you've done graphic arts future uh so nick you've done music things before i've seen you and you've been billed as nick butcher at at gigs uh but for this project it is a son and zimmer project correct so does that mean nadine that you did have more of an input in this particular project and yeah what was that do you want to start i love talking about music mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true um <laughs> that project was concepted first for an exhibit that we had down in um, San Marcos, Texas at Texas State University. So a lot of the exhibits that we've been doing more recently, we try to have some kind of publication component, mostly in lieu of like doing like a catalog or something like that. So we try to invigorate the the work in the show by having some kind of like printed matter because we're just really into printed matter. <laughs> um, and in this case, we thought... Um, we've also been adding music to the art exhibits quite a bit. So, like, we've been making these, like, casted records that play these loops, basically, and using different materials to make the records. So it's just, like, this ongoing iteration of exploration and constipation and reflection. Um, so we keep doing that. Um, so the music that we've been making for the exhibits, we thought would be, like, an interesting thing to sort of, like, document in a way because it hasn't really been documented it's more just existed in the exhibit so for this show um we had put together music for the um there were basically these two turntables and two rooms that were playing into these big speakers that were bouncing these prints around that we made with todd Irwin. it was a collaborative uh piece yeah Todd built the speaker boxes that we did, and we had some screen-printed components that he had written this text onto the, and we had printed it onto the box. Um, so the record component is like a, it's like a turducken, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a record in a book in an art show. So now it's like been, we want it to stand on its own also, so that's why we were like, hey, we should like, take this to Chirp and see if they'll play it, which is really cool that you guys are even open to it because it's always, a lot of our things are so complicated to explain then they're like very like meandering. To get to the point though, the the music is, it's, most of it was mine. It was stuff that I'd been working on, sort of. I had this idea of making a record, which is a really boring idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many records. Like, who needs another record? Um, so we had planned on making music together already. So we went into a studio nearby here. Um, Shout out to Mark. Mark Greenberg, who's a really amazing musician and recording engineer. He has a project studio that's attached to his house. And we went in and basically jammed out. And we were like, okay, we're going to record this thing, this thing, this thing. And we just threw it on top of each other. And not really a collage, but more of like just to do these things in sequential order and see what they sound like together. 
much like the way we would make a poster in a way. So it was very fluid, even though we had never been in a studio together before. And I don't really record in a studio. That's not the way I'd make my music. So it was like a new but very like familiar place for us to be. And that became basically the opening half of the music that I had already kind of put together. And we found a way to sort of intersperse that material throughout the rest of the, I had like maybe 15 minutes of music already. So the the record is like 25 or, so it's a pretty substantial part of it. But I think one thing that you're kind of totally neglecting, and like obviously we always try to make work that can stand on its own outside of the packaging. So it's not um, relying on just like these structures or these perfect surfaces to hold their ground. But I do think a big part, um, when you basically opened up the the music that you had been working on um, on your own to be more in the collaborative setting, it kind of came into like discussions about <clears throat> like where the future of graphics will go, you know, and we're thinking about as we're talking through this, you know, like what, you know, the graphics that go with records that are almost like some records are totally intertwined, the sound and the vision into they're they're burned into people's um, head. You know they are not separate, separable anymore. Um, and what a record is in future. You know like what will sound become when virtual reality has taken all tactility from our everyday. Will sound be in its primary forms shapes again? And so these kind of really abstract ideas. Um, we were kind of talking through in the course of the show through graphic images and graphic art and we wanted to bring a record as simple as it is into this mix to talk about this future because you know when people think about robots they don't think about a cruise control as a robot you know it's not something that has eyeballs and arms it's going to be something subtle that is virtual you know and so where does that leave a record or a whole soundtrack and where does that leave an exhibit you know when we think about big exhibits armory show here in chicago turn of the century we don't think about these exhibits in sounds but what were those exhibits like with sound and why did that component totally get lost? And so um, I, I feel like while it's a very simple um, collaged record with electronic and improvised music to formally explain it, I think in some ways it's also a little bit of um, a concept record within an, an artist book vision. We're in Chicago. <laughs> We're neighbors uh, in the same building on Rockwell, and um, yeah, and you've been here for for over a decade, right? So, what is it about Chicago? Why why Chicago? Why is it home base? What does it mean? Um, for me, Chicago is the perfect place for being a um, sort of self-employed creative person because there is enough work 
there's enough support. There's very little um, in the way of uh, cutthroat kind of shit. It's like everyone is, if one person does good, everybody does good. The reason I was attracted to Chicago was initially the music that was coming out of this and how amazing it sounded. And then to see the underside of that was a lot of those people were doing it for a living. And that were that record labels, people playing in bands, people like Jay Ryan, who was my mentor, running a business making posters for those bands that I loved. And meeting him, meeting Dan Sinker, who ran Punk Planet, who shared a space with Jay Ryan. Seeing that you could, the culture that I love so much, like punk and indie rock and hardcore and all that stuff, seeing that you could make a living doing that was so mind-blowing as like a young person. And I think that is only possible in Chicago, seems to me. I don't know. We've been to New York, L.A., all these smaller cities. It's hard because you don't have the manpower. You don't have the interest. Big cities, it's too expensive. you got a lot of competition. Here, it's like, it's just everything works out. It, like The winters are too horrible for anyone to stick around if you don't really like it. Um, people are friendly because that's, if you're not going to be friendly, like get out of the way. It's like, there's just no room to be like snobby here unless maybe you're in the art world and then there's plenty of room, but (laughs) it's just, it works. It's like there's space, there's interest. People are interested in culture, but they know it's not everything. It's just the equation works out. My heart is so warm right now. Yes. (laughs) So many amens. You feel the same way, Nadine? Yeah, for someone that moved here from abroad, um, this is the only place I've ever lived where if you sink everything into the city, it reciprocates, in my experience, one-to-one, with people's just warmth. And I grew up in Switzerland, which is a beautiful country, and I would trade any day an imperfect Chicago for Switzerland because of the people. And I always say, you know, like, if you're not a port city, you got to cut out the middleman because that's the only way you're going to be able to survive. And that's what creates, that's what breeds real innovation here. That what's, it, it breeds cross-pollination. It's because you know that, you know, if you're just always going to be the middleman, you know, you're always going to get sacked. Um, Robert Storer, who's this great, art critic, he wrote an essay for um, this really great DVD from Pentimenti Productions. It was like about the Harry Who and the Chicago Imagists. And he wrote in there that kind of, I'm, I'm summing it up in a very loose and unprecise way, but he was saying that like, you know, the Midwest and Chicago is the extension of the, you know, Mississippi Delta. And it's kind of where like, the American art is at, you know, it's like this vein fed by the Mississippi. And, and I really feel that juice flowing here wherever we go and turn. I feel very lucky that I came to the city because of music, because it keeps me excited. It keeps me um, at home. I never get bitter with anything because I just know if I'm, if I'm complaining and I have four musicians around me that aren't, who have it 20 times as harder, harder than me as a visual artist, then I just should zip it up. So um, it's, been, it's been really great. We are lucky for our context that Chicago has a very, very deep graphic history where we have huge suppliers 
presses were invented here. It's a huge mark in screen printing history. Um, you know, a lot of the technical advances within printing, like linotypes or type type foundries, come from this area. So we're a little bit in the perfect storm for with our context, but we kind of fell into it. Um, you know, so I don't know. It just. Uh, I don't think so. I think we we gravitated here because of that culture that already existed. So we kind of it was like a magnet, and we stuck to it. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, actually. Like, in we're neighbors. I'm going to go do my show in a second now, and that's insane. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I could keep talking to you forever, but I have to go do the radio thing. <laughs> I want to I I ask you. You said you saw our posters in college. You were at shows. You're DJing. You, yeah, you just talked about your first DJ gig at the Burlington. What, what is it for you? I mean, I know you have, like, hardcore hours to do all this. You know, podcast is also so much work like what keeps you in it in chicago in, yeah, in, and also do, doing art man probably similar to what you guys said i think feeling support and feeling like i do have an identity in this thing that i'm in you know um i don't know if i would feel this way um, yeah, in New York or LA, you know, those are fun towns. I like taking, you know, a three day weekend in New York or something, but every time I'm there, I'm like, oh man, it's so big, you know, and here it, it's, you, uh, you apply yourself and if you want to, you know, be involved, then you can. Yeah. Like what you said, it's one for one. Um, I always tell like new people that come to chirp, I'm like, you're going to get what you put in because it's all volunteers, but you know, if you want to do fun stuff, just put it out there. Like even us right now, I tweeted at you and said, hey, should we do a podcast? And you're like, hooray, you know? <laughs> so that's, the, it's like such a Chicago thing to me in general to just put it out there. And then people say, yeah, let's make something. And like people like us are everywhere, I feel like. And so why would we leave? Because we keep making stuff, <laughs> enjoying it. Thanks for having us. And, you know, even, you know, I'm just fantasizing on all the records you have over there and everything you're exposed to. And somehow we slivered in some attention. So thank you for even like taking notice of, you know, graphic arts future. <laughs> uh, definitely our pleasure. Um, yeah, my pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Um, this was really special for me. So thank you. Uh, Nick and Nadine, Son and Zimmer. I'm in your studio right now, your workspace, and this is awesome. Um, I'm like a fan, and, and I'm seriously not even a journalist in this thing. <laughs> so thanks again for talking, guys, and uh, I'm going to go play your music on my radio show right now, okay? Awesome. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that was awesome. Dylan Peterson for Chirp Radio. You can find this and other Chirp Radio interviews and podcasts at chirpradio.org slash podcasts.